What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. I've got a great episode in store for you today uh, and a whole bunch of fun stuff coming down the line. And this is all made possible by my good friends at KEH Camera, the world's largest buyer and seller of used camera equipment. You know, I just love their mission to make photography more accessible to everyone by selling certified, fully warranted used camera gear. Their collection of gear is insane, ranging from vintage film equipment to some of the latest DSLRs in the market. Uh, they got it all, and it's all up to 40% off of retail value. So it's really easy to find the camera that fits your needs with KEH Camera. I recently had the opportunity to upgrade my own gear, and they made it so easy. Uh, I talked to a gear expert and who's also a photographer, which is amazing. Like, How often do you get to talk to somebody who also is a photographer online? And I uh, was able to pick out the perfect gear, and they work with me. Um, to kind of understand what my needs were, what I was trying to do. You know, I talked about the podcast, you know, potentially starting a YouTube channel, headshots, all this different stuff. And they were able to work with me to put together a kit that perfectly met my needs. And uh, over the last couple of months, I've been using it with my personal freelance clients, um, with my friends and family. And it has been so exciting to dive back into photography. And, you know, with this new gear from KEH, I really feel, feel like there are no limits as to what I could do. So, you know, I'll be documenting that in the coming months. Be sure to check them out at KEH.com and use my code ROBJ11 to save 5% off your first purchase. Once again, that's ROBJ11 at KEH.com and you'll save 5% off your first purchase. And without further ado, here's the show. Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today, I'm here with Christoph Neiman. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For people that are might be new to you, uh, a little bit about your background, where you came from, and kind of how you got onto this whole abstract art uh, illustration path. Well, I'm from uh, southern Germany originally, and I went to art school there. Um, and for me, it was you know like, like probably most designers, definitely. 99% of all illustrators spending a childhood drawing and uh, drawing because it's fun, maybe drawing a little bit to compensate for social shortcomings. Like for me, the idea of drawing was, you know, drawing well, trying to prove how well I can draw with every piece that I that I did. And that's how I went to art school. Right. And then, especially through a teacher that I had there, Heinz Edelman, fantastic illustrator, artist, who um, uh, is also famous for, you know, doing the Beatles movie, uh, Yellow Submarine. He brought to us this notion of abstraction, of drawing in different styles, to not using your style as the starting point for an illustration, but really to use the idea as a starting point and then using the style to make an idea come to life. Like the same way a musician or more more like a producer or, or director would say, oh, for this song, I need a violin. For right. this song, I need the full orchestra. And also for this song, I might actually need a broken violin. Mm -hmm. I might you know, like have I might need an off sound. I might to have to take things away, and that for me was a groundbreakingly new uh, idea. That wait a minute, I should do a drawing and put fewer highlights on the face than I technically could. Why? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that definitely took me a couple of years to understand that sometimes you make you can make stronger communication by leaving out things. Yes, I struggle with that a lot. I'm in that stage now where I, I can't like. Everything is a, a few, a few too many lines, like one too many. You know, I, I'm so literal with it. So it's, I think that you are masterful in the less is more approach. 
Yeah, and it, I mean, it's it's an ongoing struggle. Of course, it changes. It mm -hmm. changes because, and I think the 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 most valuable lesson was, you know, most of us I think come to arts because we have this urge to express ourselves. We are we fall in love with the medium of drawing or design or type, um, and it, this is fantastic. This is what fuels our careers. But at some point, when you become a professional, you have to take the audience into consideration. And the, the, the audience, of course, doesn't really care how much fun or not fun you have. Like what works with an audience is whether you can connect in terms of the storytelling that you, that you create. Right. Um, and then it's really a question of like how much do you put in for an effective story to you? Like, and to kind of take the example of the music again, like you know, sometimes a broken guitar is more likely to make people weep than if you bring on like five, like a 50 man brass band in the background. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And just because you love a 50 man uh, brass band or it's just like, it's fun to play it, it doesn't mean that it's gonna create a stronger song. And I think, so it's really keeping your vanity, your artistic vanity in check is, it's a struggle. You cannot mute your uh, artistic vanity because that's what fuels your, your kind of creative fire. Mm. Um, but in the end, I really think it's, it's it's about what what works with the audience, you know, what makes you know whether you can create this click for somebody just looking at a piece of drawing on a on uh, on a paper. Exactly, I guess to give some context on my journey in illustration. So I was always a designer, and then I was really into typography. I think over the, the past year, I've gotten really into type, and then I had been using like a, a Wacom, Wacom, however you say it, the tablet, and I started kind of getting into digital brushes, and I really find now that they kind of have uh, eliminated my excuses as to why I can't do it. Oh, I don't have that brush. I don't have that thing. But I'm now in this place where I'm starting to utilize the tools and it's starting to get a little bit better, but I kind of struggle with kind of the abstraction and, and bringing things to life. So, um, for people that are just starting out and they're in that same position as me, they're utilizing the tools, but they're kind of stuck on the, the idea part of it. How do you get out of that, you know, blank canvas syndrome kind of thing? Um, well, just like to to just quickly think about the, the idea of abstraction. And you know, this is like a philosophical question of like, you know, what is abstraction? But right. let's just say that art per se, let's say I make a painting, even the Mona Lisa is insanely abstract right. because what you're not what you're looking at is not a woman in a dress sitting in front of mountains. It's you're looking at a piece of canvas with pigments arranged miraculously that you get reminded of a woman who looks different than probably any woman you've seen, like looking at you in a certain way. But all you're doing is you're looking at pigments and you have the idea of a woman and a landscape in your head. Exactly. So it basically means like there's this the, the real woman a couple hundred years ago, and then it's being squeezed into the brain of Da Vinci and the brushes created as like a physical arrangement of, of pigments on canvas, mm -hmm. you look at it and in your head it, unfold, it unfolds again as almost like a real person. Yes. And I think this process of like taking real life, putting it together on a piece of paper or canvas or whatever it is, and then it unfolding, this for me ultimately is an abstraction. And the question is, how far do you compress it? In right. this case, it's a, uh, in the case of the, the Da Vinci, um, it's still full color. So there's a stronger resemblance to the actual object. When you take the Nike swoosh, it's completely abstract. Yes. But it's the same, like when I see the Nike swoosh, I don't look at like a curve. I, of course, get reminded of 
any sports event where I saw these sneakers. Right. I like of all the of all the ads, but also to say it's not the, the, the swoosh doesn't communicate as much as my memory my my knowledge of right. your um, associations made with it exactly yeah. exactly and so and so there's like different kinds of abstractions that really depend on the the knowledge that i already bring to the table also my willingness to kind of like uh, project my knowledge into into an image and i think this is what we do as artists we do this like consciously and unconsciously that we play with this and that's why i think it's also important that you can't be an artist if you're not uh, if you don't look at art because you constantly have to check like you know I draw something it makes sense because I came up with it but what if I was a reader who has no idea what I'm about to see right does it translate is this, yeah is this too obvious or is it too uh, too abstract and just doesn't make any sense and and uh, I think it's a little bit like when you do a crossword puzzle um, if it's too obvious it's totally boring right. Like you were if saying, the guy hard, climbing the uh, the stock market and the guy climbing the ladder. And yeah. I how every time you do that, a panda dies. I thought that yeah. was so funny. You crushed that TED Talk, by the way. Crushed <laughs> it. You got a standing ovation and everything. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Get this guy no, but, on the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think you know, if you overdo it and you're like, uh, and let's say, you know, you love to kind of show everybody how smart you are and then you do something and people don't get it. It's just frustrating and you lose people. Yeah. Definitely. So there, it's it's not like the smarter the better, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's there's this like the sweet spot where it's just between obscurity and being obvious. Where you, and I think this is like what we refer to as the aha moment yes. when you feel you just have to work a little bit and you get the reward for having figured it out. Um, and again, I think the same. It's it's not necessarily only about uh, um, conceptual ideas. It's not about a haha you know, like right. cartoon image. The same thing can happen for for an oil painting of a landscape. Right. And I think everybody who draws and paints, we know that moment when you feel it's just, there's the tension is there that as a, as a viewer, you feel like you're being sucked in and you kind of have to write it and, and you have to kind of balance it in your head. I don't know what it is there, but there is this point, I think, in conceptual art, in, in, in abstract art, in realistic art, this moment of tension where you just feel now it's just like perfectly tense. Do you feel like it's something that can be learned and it's just kind of just overcoming your own ego or how much of that is within you and then how much of that is just you getting over your own bullshit excuses as to why you don't want to, you know, it's like that shut close, um, you know, like inspiration is for amateurs kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe that uh, talent there's a certain idea of talent. The idea of talent is like you sit down and something just happens, whereas another person would sit down, try the same thing and struggle. Or yes. it's just like, you know, like two people racing and the one without practicing just kind of like runs, you know, kind of like 100 meter dash in 12 seconds and the normal person in 14, you go like, wow, it's like, that's unfair. Right. And I think there is there, such a talent exists. The thing is, it totally does not matter. Right. Because like let's say you're you're 12 years old and you can like manage to draw a perfect bicycle and somebody else doesn't, disadvantage will never last long enough for you to become a professional. Right. Exactly. The the depth of practicing, the depth of 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 you know trying out things, learning to draw is much bigger than any kind of advantage uh, could ever last. And right. yeah, you know, if even if you're super talented, if there's somebody you know like 20% less talented who just practices half an hour more a day, they will just kind of kick your ass within a month. Right. Just at the because latest. of the discipline of like sitting down and doing it. Yeah. yeah. And and the discipline is is everything. Exactly. And I feel I there is. That. 
there's one kind of talent that I I, I believe in. And you know, I, we, I don't want to say maybe there are some people who just feel like, you know, they can't work with pencils and then they probably have to get another job. Um, <laughs> yeah, like th that's out there. But for the most part, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's something with, 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 with drawing, with music that's very similar to, to sports is that it's very repetitive. Mm -hmm. And it's probably maybe even more than sports. It's frustrating. Mm -hmm. Because you know, um, you know what what's possible. Because you, you looked at art, you know, like whether it's Mad Magazine or or the art at uh, the Metropolitan Museum, right. you know what's out there, and then you try to do it yourself, and you feel like you're really falling short of that. Mm -hmm. And that realization is really painful. Yes. And so the question is like, you know, now you have to sit down and practice. And I think it's possible to now get you from I can't draw or I can't draw well enough to, oh, I, I know how to draw a cat or, or whatever it is you want to draw. Uh, this process is frustrating because it involves you sitting at your desk trying over and over again. And let's say same people after the third time, they say, you know, what? thank you very much. I'd rather do something else now. Watch right. TV, play football with my friends, do something. And whether you want it enough, whether you are willing to kind of deal with that frustration or in, in I think in what's necessary is that you don't even see it as frustrating. That is like, of course, I tried again and again and again. And then I tried this style and then I tried to to do this, like, that you don't even see it as painful, but more as a natural state of being this. Maybe this is talent. Right. Yeah. That you have that you're basically oblivious to the frustration. Mm hmm. Or that you and just so, want to do it. You just want to like, I just find myself, you like, just, yeah, I'm not yeah. even like good, but I'm just into the idea of getting closer to the goal. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And when I, when I do things, I mean like a lot of my art is based on the idea of making it look effortless, which is, you know, always, uh, I think good, uh, a good trick. Yeah. Uh, you're definitely course, good at that. Something, you really something make that looks, across. <laughs> <laughs> if something looks effortless, of course, it, it's not necessarily um, uh, uh, effortless. But you know, I never walk around the world and see whatever, you know, a pair of socks and say, oh, gee, that looks like a dinosaur. It's just like it never, it never happens. Right. Or it happens like once in a 500 times. I have what you would want to call a spontaneous idea. Usually it's just like I sit there. And I stare at stuff and I think my talent or my I don't know, unfair advantage is <laughs> I stare longer than other people. Yes, I love that. I might get frustrated later. I might be willing to just like sit there when again, like same people would say, look, there's better things to do in your life or, you know, there's an easy, easier path. And I just feel like I think there is something in there. I just have to stare longer. I have to kind of do another drawing. I have to sh photograph it uh, again. And I think this that thing might be a talent that really is not teachable. Yeah. How much do you allow for a time that is going towards work and something like a New Yorker cover? And then how much of that is just you and your studio kind of just messing around? Um, it, it definitely has changed in the last couple of years where I, I try to and I can I have enough trusting client that I can afford to play more or that play has become work and yes. I'm very open with a lot of clients that I say look you want a certain kind of work that involves the risk of it just not working out and we both have to live with that yeah um but I will say that for the first really for the first 10 years of my career when I was doing almost exclusively editorial work um I it was all about predictability mm-hmm 
and working on command. And this was this was it was difficult the first year maybe, and then it was you know stressful. It was really hard. Took a huge amount of concentration, but it absolutely is the foundation of my work. And that is something that I really have to credit uh, Heinz Edelmann and the, the the school I went to with, where we learned that seemingly kind of creative, crazy idea drawings, they're craft that you can learn. And I actually think that to work professionally, you have to, if you don't want to go insane, you have to learn that craft. Yeah. And that craft means that you're not, um, you know, when you when you look at American illustration or when you when you can like look at your portfolio, there's like these kind of like outlier drawings, like the one there, just like absolutely, it was a perfect moment, and you kind of like you nail the likeness or a composition, or there's just one ink drawing where everything just flows perfectly. These drawings don't matter, right. I think. What matters is if you can do that drawing again yes. in another color. And again, where you instead of a chicken you draw a cat, or again where instead of a car you draw a bike, or like because this is the job. People come to you, and again, this is not about kind of like now creative fulfillment, even though I think it's very creatively fulfilling. But I think this is like when you go to school, when you go out there to kind of become a professional illustrator or designer, is is that what can you create on command? Yes. Like, I wake you up at three in the morning and you just go, or you're 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 uninspired one day, and there you have an unreasonable client who comes with crazy demands. How predictable can you do it again and again and again? And then the play part is important to kind of like reminding yourself why you do this to constantly evolve your style. This yeah. you know you shouldn't do, be doing that. But I think it's easy to forget that the 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 basis is really like is like craft. It's and, and craft is like you know, when you think of craft, it's often you know, like tools and something clunky. I think craft can be something very subtle, very, um, uh, very slight, very kind of brainy. This can there, there is a craft to that of kind of distilling something, and that, that's all about repetition. It's about structure um, and 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 doing it all the time. It's like it's about uh, about the the ability to focus on commands, right? Which again is something you can I learn. I struggle with that. <laughs> No, but you know, but it's it's something we can learn, of course, and and this is something that um, I think is a little difficult. That you know, with with art, there's the prejudice of like a certain amount of kind of being disorganized, of is artistic, or um, something that really annoys me is almost like people say, "Oh, I sucked at math," as if like being bad at math somehow makes you a better artist. And it's like, <laughs> no, it doesn't. I don't think you need to be a great math- mathematician to be an artist. But right, like there, I know a lot of incredibly fantastic designers who are incredibly organized and are, are great at math. And so much of it is like, you know, how much can you free things from your brain to focus on your work? That has you have to be kind of like completely organized so that the moment when you're on uh, uh, looking at your piece of paper, then of course the mind has to be completely open and organized. Yeah. Disorganized. There's no. I just realized this too. I started. I started cleaning more. When I get into, I, I can't get something. I, I start cleaning my apartment. That's cool. But a lot of that again it really has to do with with the reality of working with clients, where yeah. you have to be able to uh, uh, kind of repeat something 
kind of halfway in and you have to kind of like the same move over and over again. It's not about, you know, like being inspired or uh, uh, just kind of like there's one portion of the drawing you have to do again because of some whatever change. You have to be able to just do that on command and it has to be seamless yeah. with the rest of it. And this has nothing to do with being inspired or feeling like it or like getting yourself in the mood. This is just kind of like pure experience, routine and craft. Right. I know you've done a whole bunch of covers for The New Yorker. That your the first New Yorker cover you ever did uh, was on your wedding day, which is just the coolest thing yeah. ever. That's, I know this is fantastic. that's some fairy tale stuff. You should have just retired right after that. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but along that same line, though, you got all these New Yorker covers, all this work that's out there, TED talks, uh, Netflix documentaries, and stuff like that. And you're putting a lot out that has like your work alongside of it. Do you ever have a tough time? either saying when something is done or or something that you've kind of put at scale because like you're putting things out on a massive scale at this point, you know, the New Yorker. So many people get that, your social media following. Um, how do you strike that balance of like when something is, is done? Uh, and do you look, when you reflect back on some of the work you've done over the years, do you like it or do you kind of evolve out of that? And how does it, yeah. Well, I, I, def I definitely evolve over it. It's not that I, you know, often, I look at something and feel like I couldn't do that again because it just like it happened or I was like more practiced at a certain technique than yeah. I would be now. I mean, I, I definitely think that there's you know, certain kind of drawing that just require daily practice. I know, for example, that I did like I was able to draw pretty decent kind of caricature likeness in pencil by sitting down when I was like 22 in art school. Yes. There's no way I could do that today. Yeah. And I was just like I was doing it every day for a year and a half and you get to a level it's almost like you know you, can, you go to the gym practice a certain muscle it's just it works if you just don't use it for like five ten years it's just, you can't expect to just kind of pull that stuff off again exactly. um but um no things um, things definitely definitely evolve and i look at some stuff and i feel like yeah i would not be able to do it again other things i look at and go um i'm not that interested in that kind of work again but also maybe because time times have changed and again i think it's a question of routine to judge whether a work is done or not or whether it needs a little bit more but for that it's it, i don't know if it's crucial but it's definitely helpful if you have people that you can ask yeah in the in the in the in the in the heat of the battle it's you can get better at judging your own work but there's a certain kind of work where having an outside set of eyes is incredibly helpful but this is something and i can't stress it enough D these are grown relationships yes um because in order to, for me to show a concept or a half half done drawing to to somebody they have to know me they have to know my art they have to be able we have to have a uh, um, a cultivated kind of way of talking so I, their critique makes sense yes because usually it's you know, you know don't draw don't talk about like the, the the way it's drawn it's about the concept or don't talk about the concepts about the way it's drawn you know like this is something <laughs> we have to notice intuitively and um yeah i have like really like two three people like definitely my wife nicholas fleckman who's the the, the creative director at the new yorker he's a very close friend and even though i'm in berlin most of the time and he's in new york we constantly send work back and forth yes like often open invite by the way if you want to come on the show come I will, on down I will. come on down and meet the creatives yeah <laughs> um no but it's, i would just like send him some random pencil doodle and say look this is what i'm trying to do and he can give me in like 20 seconds he's like yes no left right um doesn't work think about that 
And this is not, he's, he's like one of the most brilliant art directors I know, that helps. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also that we've been having this discussion for such a long time that he knows exactly like where I am in the process of my thinking and drawing and then he can push me in a, in a certain way. And cool. something like this, you know, like you, you, not everybody can be that lucky, but I think I, I also I still have some people from art school that you know, we talked about art all the time. That's why I can talk with them about stuff and get pretty quickly to the point of like where it hurts in a good way. Yeah. To sure. kind of push yourself forward. So I think as an artist, which is a solitary, for most of us, a solitary job, um, to kind of cultivate this idea of having a social circle where you can exchange from talking about a sketch or uh, a project to also larger questions of like where you are in your career and dealing with clients and so forth. Um, kind of cultivating that and if you, is, is a huge asset, I yeah, think. Absolutely. Where do you find inspiration from and for young uh, illustrators and designers that are coming up, uh, who are some people that you definitely you know, don't want to miss out on? Um, for me, it's... Give me the um, good stuff. I need the good stuff. <laughs> um, I got to say, like, for me, it's definitely more Instagram than it is um, uh, than Pinterest. Yeah. Because like, there's something about Pinterest that's too designed for that purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, there's something with with like uh, in Instagram, of course, the same thing to 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 a certain degree. Right. Uh, but it feels like it's broken down to a style or to a certain thing, and it's like you know, it's like a joke that you hear three times and then it's boring, or yeah, a certain yeah. food you eat like four times. And when I see when I look at uh, something in, in in Pinterest, and you see. The next thing you see 50 versions of that and then like the next thing you see like 150 versions of that you go like wow i can't see that anymore for me the more exciting way to look at art, art is if you if you find surprises and there's like you know like two people that i think are like for me the, the most uh, um, interesting follows the one is just crazy but fantastic and that's jerry saltz the art uh, the art critic for new york magazine okay and he's extremely political um uh very very liberal but now, on a, on a Friday afternoon, he just paints 10 painters. Right. And it's like, this is work that's great and that's fresh. And just like, bam, 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 like from these people. Then sometimes he just paint, uh, shows like art from like you know, 300 years ago. He wow. just like throws it out there, like tells you what it is. And it's just like, where did that thing come from? It's like people I've never heard of. And it's so fresh and, and, uh, and fantastic. And another Instagram account, he doesn't post very often, uh, but Richard McGuire, who is, you know, he's a genius, uh, illustrator, uh, has done a lot of New Yorker cover. He has uh, made this, this, this book here, which uh, you know, had a fantastic exhibition at the Morgan library. He's also a, actually a famous musician, as I heard, uh, heard later, uh, at some point he was like with this band liquid liquid, I think in the eighties. Okay. So he was like a pop star before he became cool. an artist. And he has an, an an Instagram account where he just shows like random things he sees in museums, like beautiful, crazy abstract art that have nothing to do with his beautiful work, right. but just like extreme, like intellectual, weird, like uh, um, strange, uh, gorgeous stuff. But this is something where I feel like a smart person just grabs you by the hand and says, look, we're going to go to a museum for 20 seconds and I'm going to show you this one weird thing behind a corner. Right. And you see that and go like, wow, that I did not know that existed, or maybe I, I, I completely forgot that it existed. And these are um, these are accounts that I think can really kind of broaden 
your horizon in a way because you don't you're not looking for something it's just like stuff comes your way and they're trusted sources and who just like are intellectually big enough to um or like have such big resources intellectually just like look at this thing and look and, and really right, kind of seeds, yeah. sharing something not to like prop up their own work but really to say like you should see this thing and that for that i think is priceless yeah for sure I know that sometimes illustrators like to work kind of physically on, on notepads and sketch it and they're opposed to, to digital brushes and stuff like that. And, uh, and then other people kind of utilize both. I'm curious to know like what your workflow is like and how much of it is paper. And then uh, I would imagine when you're doing a whole bunch of iterations for something like the New Yorker, you kind of have to eventually take that physical and then put that into the digital or do, or, you know, where do you find that, that balance? Uh, well, I there's love, definitely. I love brushes on Photoshop and stuff. That's my new obsession. It's the best. Yeah. No, it, it, is, it is incredible. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. And then, you know, especially Kyle Webster, who's who's a friend who is like, we, I think, makes the most incredible ones that, you know, like come yeah. with, with, he works for Adobe now and he's a genius. And I think really has changed the field with, with, with his inventions. I just uh, discovered I mean, a fantastic him recently. Artist. I love it. That's where actually yeah, no, what it's, referring it, to, small world. Absolutely, um, absolutely uh, fantastic. And uh, what's great with, with, with these kind of tools, again, are, like, you know, it's a question of predictability. If I, you know, I used to have these kind of broken bamboo brushes, they were awesome. But if I would want to continue a drawing a week later, it might be a different kind of humidity. You can't take the same brush and expect the same kind of crazy brush stroke again. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is difficult, of course, when you work on a book project and you have you know, 80 pages with, with, with drawings and you want a consistent style, you have to be able to can like use the same style over and and also redo page 17 37 and, and, and 60 a week later or a month later yeah. and still having having it uh, giving it the same uh, the same feel and for that reason i think having predictable tools is so important yeah the same goes of course yeah, when you have a new yorker copy as you said and you need to change a hand and a head and do some it, it has to feel right and i have to also be able to say like oh i want the black actually to have 30% magenta instead of like 20% magenta in the background so it feels a little cooler or like yeah. these tiny changes. This is much more difficult, of course, in an analog medium. Mm -hmm. um, in analog, I find that you know, like kind of black ink or pencil is more predictable and I feel I can control it much more and I can cheat and, and, and exchange things. Yeah. On the other hand, I started doing a lot more um, work with, with inks, with real color inks when I do my landscapes. And there is still something that pigment on paper does that the computer, even the latest uh, versions, still can't do. I agree. There's like a richness in the process of drawing, but especially of what you see later on, like the physicality of the paint on the paper. This is something you can translate or like I do a lot of silkscreen editions. Um, there's like when you see white on top of red on top of blue and you oh. have like the different pigments kind of like shining through each other this is something like no million dollar uh, silk screen uh, inkjet printer or no kind of like five thousand dollar iphone screen can duplicate because right. this is about physical inks like working together in some magic way um like actual and, chemistry you know, yeah that's cool so yeah cool. and then this is something i don't i don't mind that this can't be done digitally I just love the variety of it. And so I really try to, again, keep my vanity in check and say, like, you know, this is not about what I want to do. It's about the results I want to achieve. Yes. Um, and um, 
if I feel I can do it best digitally, then I do it digitally. If I do it, uh, if I feel like a hand-drawn medium is, 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 is stronger, richer, like more personal, then I'll do that. And I work in very maybe unexpected terms. I've done uh, this, this kid's book, uh, Subway, and this is, these are all acrylic paintings. Because I love I really, them so this, much. They're amazing. This, this, uh, this, this handmade quality. The entire thing was designed and sketched uh, in Photoshop. Right. Because to get the composition right, acrylics are the worst. You, know, you can't move stuff around. You can't scale stuff. So I basically painted that thing digitally, put the whole book together, knew exactly where the type would go. And there's like very complex, almost like infographics. Yeah. There was no room for kind of playing around because these brushes, these brush strokes, they have to, they have to kind of work out perfectly on the first try. So I needed a pretty precise sketch. And you were on, painting on black too, which is pretty... Painting on black, you know, like with colors, it's, it's really uh, tricky. So basically, I drew the whole book digitally until I knew where it was, kind of like talked it over with the editors. And at the end, I made a, um, a, 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 the final completely analog, as opposed to, you know, like what I often do, of course, you do a pencil sketch and then you go digital. So I do both. I do like you know, like I do the. Of course, for me, like pencil and paper is a great way of thinking. So I have my notebooks and I doodle around. Yeah. And then I go like, okay, now let's go to the computer, especially if it's vector. I want to see what it looks in bright red on bright green. Yeah. Uh, I, I get so the, excited about the colors personally. I feel I, yeah. I have a hard time staying in the sketchbook because for me, I like when it's like black and then I just put that big streak of like RGB like red going across. I should probably spend more time sketching and you know kind of doing the, the hard yards and yeah. not the, the fun part. I just find myself just using those Kyle brushes just over and over again, just kind of making these sort of doodle things. I don't know. But that's cool though, maybe. Maybe that's how I figure out how to use them and then eventually I'll get burnt out doing that and I'll become, well, you know, a real illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, this is so ridiculous, the fact that I'm talking. I mean, I understand like you're just like a regular person or whatever, but I find it kind of hilarious that I'm so like at this elementary level of illustrating and then we're having this conversation. I just think it's like really kind of neat and kind of encapsulates what I'm trying to do here, you know, to show no, that this you can just a, talk. Yeah. But I think this, this is the beauty of, of, of this, this job that where like at the end of the day, you kind of, you have a blank piece of paper and a brush and ink Yes. or a digital brush. It doesn't really matter. And it's just like, that's it. And you start again, and of course, the, like it doesn't matter what you've drawn before because it doesn't make your drawing better. Yes. And what's really like frustrating and fantastic uh, conceptually is also that you can't do it again. If you do something and it's great, it means you can never do that idea again. That's so crazy. I and so, so and, 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 and this is kind of like the nature of the work, but that's why you're kind of like a student every day because you have to kind of like learn something new. you have to invent something new every day and it's like frustrating on the other hand that it's our life insurance because that means because the world always wants new new images yes. um but I, you know th this is why i love you talking to other artists because we're all in the same boat in that regard there's you know, nobody so oh i already did 2000 drawings that means shit if you're doing the 2001st one right. you're starting scratching starting it. So everybody's like yeah, yeah. back to the starting line every single day and and uh, and th this is awesome so thank you so much for doing this, man. Uh, is there anything else, any advice that you want to give to people uh, and anything you have coming up? The floor is yours. So I think it's important not to confuse the, the emotion when you look at art with the emotion when you create art. When you, when you look at art that you love, you, you're inspired and you have this like rush and this conviction and the world all of a sudden makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
and when you when you create art, it's like a thousand minimal, kind of extremely benign and, and, and unimpressive, unsexy steps. Yes. And I think it's easy to think you're doing it wrong because you feel like, no, I want to create art that makes gives you great feelings and great emotions. Yes. And you know, why does it feel so slow and unspectacular? And say, and I think it's important to remember that. Art, creating art doesn't give you the same kind of rush, or at least for me and I think for most other, it doesn't give you this kind of great emotion that kind of like standing in front of an amazing painting does. Yes. It will, might do that for your audience. Yeah, that's what's important to keep in mind. I always wonder about that. And, like, and so it's not about how you feel, and yet I don't wait for this like, this kind of rush that you might know from kind of being an observer of art. Yeah, well it's all and subjective think, too, right? No, no, it's not so much about it being subjective. I think it's just like a cause of frustration if you think you're waiting for that because that's not the point. You know, we don't know. Maybe, um, uh, maybe Picasso was in a terrible mood when he painted uh, uh, Guernica. I don't know. It's just like it's an incredible painting. So for me, it's what the painting does for me, for for me, and and not how Picasso felt when he painted it. Ah, that's deep. I love that. No, I totally and get so, what you mean, though. It's like it's not about it's not about you. It's about like you're doing a dance for someone else, and it's for someone else exactly, to kind of interpret yeah. that dance. Yeah. And when 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 a ballerina kind of jumps like a feather over the stage, she might not feel like a feather because it's incredibly hard work. Yes. Yeah, my wife says that. My wife really was really into ballet and stuff like that, and she watches it and she's like, "Oh my god, this is great!" But I remember when she was a dancer, it was this arduous, crazy. Yeah soul-sucking task but it was the greatest days of her life kind of thing you know and but i think you know like to kind of stay with that metaphor i think the danger is if you're a ballerina and you think oh why don't i feel like a feather i'm doing it wrong it's like no that's what it feels like if you're a ballerina it's like don't confuse it with sitting in the audience looking at a ballerina that feels like a feather that's like so true. <laughs> and so, and I think so much, so many of us uh, are frustrated because of that, because we feel like, wait a minute, I'm doing it wrong, or like it, it's supposed to feel differently. And I think once you accept that, then it actually can become a lot easier. So thank you again. Uh, just for people that want to follow you online, your social media handles, what's the best place to follow you and any events or anything you have coming up in the near future? I'm uh, on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Abstract Sunday. One word. Uh, my website is christophneeman.com and I'm working on a couple of book and magazine projects right now which I can't talk about because uh -huh. they're not done yet, but I'm very excited. So hopefully some of them will work out. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. It was really great. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, right. Peace, buddy. See, See you later. Bye. Bye.